Hello, my name is Jonathan Swift, the content editor of Insurance Post, and welcome to this, the latest Motormouth podcast. Today, I'm looking at the motor supply chain, uh, particularly given this is quite an eventful year with a lockdown and Brexit to come in the future. Now, I'm delighted to say I'm joined today by Kath Holm, the head of motor and legal supply chain development at Carp Insurance, and Mike Partridge, the paint and body business manager at Volkswagen UK. Hi, Kath and Mike. Hello. Hi. So I'll come to you first of all, Kath, and just ask you, how challenging was the coronavirus pandemic in terms of the car repair supply chain? Did you find that manufacturers and insurers were able to maintain and the supply of materials and parts for cars? And where were the pinch points? Um, I think it's fair to say it was quite um, turbulent initially um, as people adjusted and learned more as we went into lockdown. Um, we did see some disruption um, with um, repairers, some choosing to close um, and others doing limited services. Um, but overall, um, as an insurer, we, we coped very well and quickly got back to 100% national coverage for our customers, which was obviously our priority. And uh, same question to you, Mike. Um, it was uh, it was a challenge. Um, uh, I, I don't think uh, there's any denying that. Um, from the part supply side, um, I, I, th I think it's a, a bit of a game of two halves from uh, a manufacturer perspective. Um, there's those of us that uh, that supply parts directly uh, through our own trade parts operations, such as Volkswagen Group. We have trade parts specialists who uh, is a, a business that is owned by Volkswagen Group and therefore uh, we can determine policy. We did actually manage to keep part supply open uh, throughout. Uh, there are other manufacturers though and I know that the industry struggled uh, uh, a little bit with uh, consistent part supply where they were supplied through dealer trade programs and uh, as uh, uh, lockdown progressed and the retail side of the industry started to shut down. I think that the uh, the industry as a whole struggled with uh, uh, with part supply into uh, into the repairers. Uh, like I so, said, fortunately with uh, with Volkswagen Group, we were able to keep the part supply open throughout. Uh, in terms of the network, so our own approved network, uh, we have a network size of 180 body shops. Uh, at the height of the uh, pandemic, I think we were down to 55. Now, we did manage to uh, broaden their market areas and work very, very hard to, um, to, to keep national coverage. But, but yeah, that was, a, that was quite a challenge. So can I ask, Mike, you know, for an industry that relies heavily on professionals working on site, what does socially distanced car repair, socially distanced car repair network look like? Uh, I think it looks like different things in different areas. Um, I, I visited body shops that are on sort of legacy sites, if you like, that are, are very, very tight on space. Uh, and I think that that's uh, led to some capacity issues. I've also uh, been to body shops where they have a little bit more space and they're able to um, socially distance repair uh, without too much of a problem. Um, I think the commonality across the industry though is creativity and how people have approached that and anything from you know changing the way that uh, the, the vehicles are received for instance so you know identifying the high traffic areas identifying that 
sit through to shift patterns and uh, uh, and that kind of approach. So I think the creativity is really coming to the fore in uh, in as, as we move out of uh, uh, of the height of the lockdown. So can I ask you, Kath, did a, did the change in UK motor and during lockdown, we obviously drivers been asked to stay at home. Did you see a change in the nature of repairs that, that, that were coming your way? Um, we obviously saw um, a reduction in volume as the industry did um, and types of damage, um, probably more um, AD, single vehicle impacts, um, car park impacts, things like that. Um, we tended to see a move um, from the repairers that, that we were repairing um, immobile vehicles and doing emergency repairs at the height of lockdown. Um, and a lot of customers who had minor damage chose not to proceed with repairs um, because they were uneasy around um, giving their vehicle to somebody else and not, not knowing what was going to happen to it. So, Mike, does that chime with you? Uh, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. We saw uh, pretty much an ident identical picture as Kat. We, uh, you know, the reduction in uh, in volume, I think, uh, pretty much mirrored the uh, reduction in uh, road traffic use. Uh, we all saw the graphs that the uh, government were putting up on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, I was sat at home uh, with my computer open, scratching my head, thinking uh, my figures are looking pretty much identical to that. Uh, and again, with the, the nature of repair as well if the cars were drivable uh people were choosing to um to uh, delay the, the repair I, I don't think anyone at that time certainly at the height of the pandemic uh wanted to use public transport uh and rely on public transport and also it probably wasn't the top of uh, people's priority to have a, a vehicle that's drivable i don't think uh, uh, a, a repair was at the top of their wish list at that time so, Mike, can I ask you generally, what has the pandemic shown about uh, the motor supply chain's resilience to major disruption? Uh, I think, again, I, I, I referred back to my, my game of two halves at, at the start. There, there are uh, manufacturers that are keyed up to provide uh, parts into the supply chain um, uh, effectively during crises. Um, and uh, the approach that, like I say, that we're, we're taking, where uh, we operate our um, our trade business through an agency approach rather than through a franchise approach. Uh, a number of other manufacturers have been looking at that for some time. Certainly, Ford and PSA have got very, very advanced uh, live programs uh, as well. Uh, and I think that any other manufacturer that has had that kind of approach to trade parts in their planning are probably accelerating that at the minute. Uh, in terms of uh, the network, I think that, that um, the resilience, the uh, the uh, creativity, um, I think that that uh, that, that was uh, very evident. Uh, my worry is that um, uh, you know we, we we're not quite out of the furlough um, period yet. Uh, I think we we need to have a look to see. How resilient the um, uh, the industry actually is once that once that scheme closes and uh, and uh, you know we, we people have to fend for the the pay for their um, uh, the, the employee uh, wages again um, and uh, I think that uh, the time will tell with that. Kath, from from your perspective as an insurer, uh, to be honest, I agree with what um, Mike's 
said, um, I, I think volumes haven't bounced back to where they were um, pre-lockdown. So it's that um, sustainability of the supply chain um, and resilience, especially, you know, if we're further hit, um, you know, with further lockdowns as we move through the pandemic. Can I ask you then, Kath, how have insurers and the, the OEMs collaborated during lockdown to ensure repair networks and supply chain remain open? And is collaboration between the two improving, do you think, as a result of the kind of pandemic lockdown? Yes, I think so, to be honest. I think a lot of insurers um, have tried to, to help um, the supply chain, whether it be, um, you know, cleaning fees or waiving parts discounts, things like that. And you have seen a collaboration. Um, because I think everybody has realised that we need to work together to try and provide the service for our customers. Mike? Um, I think that the industry as a whole worked together uh, more effectively. Um, is, is there room for improvement? Absolutely. Uh, it was, uh, I think that the, uh, as an industry, we, we, we have, getting better at talking to each other there are uh, events and opportunities around that uh, that allow us to do that um i've often said uh, and i think people are, are getting sick of me saying it actually but uh, to, to me the insurance industry and the and the uh, uh, the oem side of the industry we're, we're uh, uh, as bernard shaw's said about uh, uh, famous quote saying uh, that England and America are two countries separated by a common language uh, and that that's how I feel very much with uh, with our industries we, we feel like that we occupy the same industry we think that we have the same problems but I'm not sure if we've really explored how we can help each other uh, fully and I think when a, a pandemic hits and when we uh, when we see the impact that that has to uh, the supply chain to um, to repairs to customers. I think there's an opportunity for us to work uh, even closer. Can, can I ask, obviously, Mike? Uh, you know, with the pandemic, it's almost as if perhaps Brexit might have been forgotten for a, for a few months. I think you know, it's back on the agenda now. So, with the December looming and preparations being made for Brexit, are we like to see insurers and OEMs enact major changes to the way they operate as a result of that December deadline? Uh, who ever thought that Brexit would welcome news about Brexit again? Uh, yeah, it's um, in, in, in terms of what we're doing and uh, and uh, preparations. It, it, our preparation for, for Brexit was informed more by the uh, the two previous threats of cliff edge that uh, that, that we had to encounter with the uh, with the withdrawal agreement. So we're pretty good at facing deadlines with Brexit by now. We've had a couple of uh, practice runs, um, even though they didn't feel like that this much at the time. Uh, we uh, I, I, we could have done without the disruption of, uh, of uh, a global pandemic, but I think that's pretty much the same for everyone in any in industry. Uh, but um, it's, uh, I, I, I'm not sure if we've learned a huge amount out, out, outside of the, uh, as a result of the, um, uh, the, the COVID situation, because I think it was just an extreme and different, um, uh, extreme and different situation. Uh, in terms of Brexit planning, uh, we're, we're planning for all scenarios. Um, we've had uh, previous uh, experience of increasing part stock, for instance, uh, and uh, we're, we're, we're making uh, whatever preparations are required. We have a, a team that is dedicated to Brexit preparation. Uh, we can have somebody 
uh, some very lucky person with the job title breakfast manager uh, that worked for us as well. Um, so uh, uh, so th th there's a, a huge amount of planning uh, going towards that, which didn't stop during uh, the pandemic. Uh, I think that, that, again, you know, we, we've mentioned it before, the creativity, the resilience, I think that that will uh, probably shine through as we go through a little bit uh, of uncertainty uh, around that towards the end of the year. Kath, from, from insurer's insure perspective? Well, it feels like we've been planning for Brexit um, forever, to be honest, um, and talking about it forever. Um, and, you know, we, we obviously have detailed plans in, in place. And I think it, it probably helped us with the, with the pandemic in, in a strange way, because um, the supply chain had started um, in some areas, stockpiling um, certain parts and things like that, which... Um, helped that supply um, when China started to close down, um, certainly for a number of, of, of weeks. Um, I think everybody probably ripped up their BCP plans um, when the pandemic hit. And if anything, I think it's shown us um, as an insurer in an industry um, that we can adapt and be quite agile and maybe things that we thought would be impossible or really difficult um, as a regulated industry we've managed to make work. Um, I think if we'd, we'd have said, you know, we'd have majority of our people working from home, um, you know, very quickly, we would have said that wasn't possible. Um, and, it, and it's always um, good to see when you when you have to um, react to a challenge, the art of the possible. And I think that's, that's my main takeaway, that we shouldn't be restricted in our thinking. Can I ask you, Kath, beyond Brexit and coronavirus, there is talk about the, you know, the continued electrification of vehicles. Um, can I ask you, do you think a new supply chain will be required um, you know, as we get an uptick in the use of electric vehicles, albeit that might have been slightly slowed down by pandem the pandemic? Yeah, and whether it's a new supply chain or the existing supply chain adapts and develops, I think you'll you'll see some specialists um, launching, um, you know, just from a point of view of the technology and capability that you'll need for some of the repairs um, from more specialists. But I think we're already seeing that emerging in, in the market currently. Mike? Uh, yeah, I agree with Kath. I, I, I think that um, it, regardless of uh, the, the powertrain, whether it's uh, electric or combustion, uh, the technology being deployed on cars now is uh, is getting more and more sophisticated, whereas you used to get um, uh, generalists in the marketplace, there is an increase in specialism, even within the manufacturer approved sector. Uh, where people would have a number of different badges that, that uh, they would work with uh, uh, with manufacturers. Now they're having to cut those down just to, so that their staff can stay ahead of the game in terms of uh, uh, of uh, education and qualification on on to to repair the vehicles. Now there are specific issues that electric vehicles come with. So uh, you know, uh, at the minute uh, there won't be many high voltage technicians, qualified high voltage technicians. Uh, in in the marketplace, uh, it is a very specialist skill. I suspect that they would be charged out at a higher rate than, than standard, which often will mean that they will rely on, um, on on dealer resource to come in. So that obviously has time to the repair and uh, potentially cost as well. Uh, then there are new uh, new 
construction techniques that come with, with electric vehicles as well. So uh, we just recently released ID3, which uh, will eventually be uh, the replacement for the Golf, uh, so volume vehicle. And there are uh, very different uh, technologies and, uh, and construction on that than, than the vehicles that we've launched in the past. So uh, I, I think that, that, that the general technology is driving people to specialism. Electrification is a part of that technology, but, but certainly we are, we are now seeing, I think, the, the end of the generalist or, or certainly the end, uh, um, you know, uh, a generalist will be quite limited in the, the type of repair that they're able to do. So can I just ask, Mike, finally, I mean, do you think there'll be any new challenges with a kind of a mix of cars on the road over the next few years in terms of the supply chain? Um, the, the, yeah, I think there'll be there'll, there'll definitely be challenges. Uh, it's it's a, a new thing that we're getting used to, and I think that, that different obviously different manufacturers have, have different uh, strategies in terms of the electric rollout. Um, us as a, as a Volkswagen Group, we we had a, a very very uh, big ambition to become a, a leader in the uh, electric vehicle um, uh, sector, uh, pretty almost from a standing start. Uh, and the pace at which we are we will be launching uh, uh, the electric range is is quite dramatic. And so anyone that is is repairing our vehicles will see a mix of vehicle change very very rapidly. So in the, the new vehicle segment, um, that obviously that's not necessarily the same for all manufacturers. Uh, but but just like anything, when when you've got a a big change in uh, in, in a industry then you will get disruption which uh, which comes with that i think training development people that, that need to keep ahead of the technology please don't repair anything that you're not qualified to repair especially if it's got a, a very high voltage into it or a, a a battery that could go critical uh, but so so you know the, the there will be this disruption disruption will be a need for people to stay ahead of uh, the game in terms of technology you know what they're capable of repairing and most more importantly, know what they're not capable of repairing. Kath? Yeah, I agree with, with Mike. I, I think it'll be a challenge to understand the capacity um, that, that we require and for the supply chain to be able to, um, I guess, manage that as a hybrid model with the, with the different repairs that they will get through the door and that, that will change as, as we evolve through time. Um, Okay, well, unfortunately, we're out of time. I'd like to say a big thank you to Kath and Mike for offering their thoughts on these topics. Thank you both. You're very welcome. Thank you. Um, as you're probably all aware by now, the uh, Motor Insurance World event was obviously postponed this year, uh, a victim of coronavirus, but we will be back next year. And also remember to tune in to our upcoming Future of Insurance work event, which you can sign up to now. But until the next podcast, it's goodbye from me. Cheerio, everybody. Bye.